0: Good morning Northeast. How are you feeling? Good, good. Hey, so I have a piece of coal here. Anybody ever got this under their stocking or under the tree? Yeah, a handful of you. Now listen, it's gonna be for an illustration. I know some of you are probably really passionate and you're like, hey, coal keeps the lights on. Yeah. And then some of you are like, No, clean energy. We're not going to either place, okay? This is just simply for an illustration because I actually grew up in a house when I was a small child and we used coal for heat. Now, it was ground up a lot smaller than this, and we'd put it into this combustion air kind of stove, and it would put out the heat in the living room, so it's really interesting. But one thing I know about coal, just handling it here lightly, is that it's messy. You pick up coal, and this residue just rubs right off onto the hands, and you have to wash it, and sometimes it's a little tricky to get off, and you can still see a little bit of shade even after you wash your hands. But coal is really, really messy. Reminds me of a conversation I had just this past week. I'm sitting in our conference room with a couple of guys. One of the guys does some ministry around the church here, and another guy is kind of new to, to Northeast and this community of believers. And we're having this conversation, and we're sitting across the table throwing back ideas, opinions, thoughts, and whatever. And this one guy is really, really passionate about a certain demographic of people. And he wants to get involved in their lives, and he wants to really move the message and the means of God forward in the lives of this demographic. And finally, it reaches a point where he's squirming in his chair and he just kind of sits up a little bit and he says, I know, I know, I know. Dealing with people, ministry, it's messy. And some of you know that very well. So when we talk about Christmas, one of the words that usually rises to the top is this idea of mercy. And when you and I extend mercy to someone, to some other person, we quickly realize that mercy, just like ministry, just like coal, it's messy. So if you like to follow along with the tangible Bible or on the screen or on your mobile device, we're going to look at three little short episodes, kind of stories from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a really fitting story. You know, there's four Gospels in our Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is kind of like this intelligent scholar who writes from this really cool worldview for the Greeks. And then you've got Luke who writes to the Gentile community, which is really neat because the Gospel was generated first and foremost to the Jewish people. So you got Luke writing to the larger um, demographic of people, if you will. And then you got Mark, who's writing to a church that's probably under persecution. And you'll know that when you read the Gospel of Mark, there's only 16 chapters. And it's really quick. You read through the Gospel of Mark, and it's the very next day, immediately, just then, probably getting his message out to this church that was persecuted. And then you have the Gospel of Matthew that was written to the Jewish people, and it's in the Gospel of Matthew that you see Jesus coming into conflict with the religious leaders of the day, the people that should have been in charge of God's message. And you see that this conflict is kind of resulting in the fact that Jesus thinks they missed a core component of this message. And it was for Israel to be a light to all of, to all of the nations, to all of the Gentile people. And instead of doing that, she kind of closed herself off. She boxed herself off from the rest of God's creation. And Jesus came and he drew attention to that. On one episode, Jesus is walking around and he wants to get involved in people's lives. And he knows that ministry is messy, but he's really passionate about building relationships with people. So he reaches out to a guy named Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And in that day, tax collectors and sinners bottom, fringe, marginalized you don't really associate with him, especially if you're a Jewish person, especially if you're one of the religious leaders. So Jesus is calling attention to Matthew and actually wanted to say, hey, let's hang out. Or to use my vernacular, hey, let's get coffee. He wants to build, strike up a relationship with the guy. So we jump into the story, Matthew chapter 9. The religious leaders, or the Pharisees in particular, on hearing that Jesus wanted to hang out with this guy, Um, They kind of drew attention to it and caused a problem. On hearing this, Jesus said, Hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's actually the sick. And then he has this line right here. He says, But you go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. A couple of things about this line here. Some of you scholars here, our resident scholars, you know that this is a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea and a few other minor prophets. And it's simply drawn attention to this idea. You know, sacrifice, the sacrificial system, offering sacrifices, a big deal in the religious expression of Jews way back when. So, this idea of offering a sacrifice without mercy has a couple of meanings. One, the, the sacrifices that are offered should not be vain, hollow. The right attitude has to accompany this action. Uh, we could say when we're standing and we're singing, we're offering praise to God. It's not that we're just, you know, mumbling around, oh, holy night. Nothing like that. The attitude has to be involved in the action. Or we don't give begrudgingly. You know, we don't throw the money at the guy who passes the basket around. We give out a a spirit of generosity. The attitude has to accompany the action. But there's another, and this is less talked about, but there's another component to this. What God could be saying in this idea that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is that when you offer a sacrifice, it atones for your sins, In other words, I can have a rift in the relationship. There can be trouble. There can be sin between me and someone else. But if I offer a sacrifice, it's covered. Or maybe you know this really well. Something's going on in your current life with someone else, but you've prayed about it, and now you feel like it's okay, but you haven't made things right with the other person because you know how messy that's going to be. So the idea is, I want mercy. I want you to get it right before you offer the sacrifice. If you don't, we run the risk of you having this action without making amends to the other person. That's profound. And you and I know that can be messy. Uh, My middle daughter, Sophia, I know I talk a lot about my kids. Anybody else do that? Yeah, I get this great stage to do that. So my daughter Sophia, several years ago, I think she was five, maybe six, pushing six, I believe. Um, she's, we're living in this area in Richmond and she's got these friends that live next door and they're coming over. She knows they're going to be arriving in any moment. So the doorbell rings and she knows it's her friends and she's so excited. So she gets up from the table, she turns and she bolts toward the door. She's like three or four steps in until she hits forehead right on the side of the door frame there. Knocks her down, doesn't knock her out, but knocks her down. She's got this huge, you can see it. If you see her running around here today, just look at her forehead right there. You can still see a little bit of a scar. So we rush her to the doctor. It's bleeding like crazy. She looks a little dazed. We rush her to the doctor. The doctor takes care of her. But while she's laying there in this bed, I'm just looking at Sophia my heart's breaking that she's in so much pain and all this jazz. But I'm looking at this and I have this flood of memories just gush into my mind, and I start recalling all these instances where she did run to the door because her friends were coming over. And then I start reflecting on when we go to the park, if there's another kid playing alone, Sophie is drawn to that person. Or if there's another kid and they're hurting, Sophie wants in that person's life. A couple of years ago at 7-Eleven camp, there was actually a kid from our church that was having a little bit of a rough time. And I told Ms. Carolyn, I said, hey, find Sophie, put Sophie in her sphere of influence. And they got connected and Sophie was able to encourage her. I quickly realized, and I called it, and to this day it's true. I called it when she was laying on that hospital bed. I was looking at her and thinking, this gal right here has the gift of mercy. And in case you don't know, you can mark this in on the margin of your Bible or your notes or whatever. Romans chapter 12, I think it's verses 6 through 8, has a little list of spiritual gifts. And mercy is actually listed as a spiritual gift. And I pegged this. I was like, she's got the gift of mercy. The way she bleeds, not only from her forehead, but for other people, is a God-given characteristic. And to this day, it's proven true. So I was interviewing Sophie, asking her some questions about mercy based on this morning's message. And I'm getting her to give me a rundown of how she perceives it, what goes on in her mind. And she gave me this note. She said, well, having the gift of mercy is like this. When something's going on with someone else, whether you know them, don't know them, part of your family, friends, stranger, whoever, and they've done something wrong, you really can't stay mad at them. You can't stay mad at another person because you can see where they're coming from. I thought that was profound and so easy for me to overlook. You can't stay mad at someone else because you can understand where they are coming from. That's a component of mercy. That was part of the problem with the Pharisees. They look at a group called tax collectors and sinners and maybe these tax collectors and sinners are living lives that they don't understand they don't like they don't appreciate and they can't understand where they're coming from so they sever any attempted relationships that's important so served at a church several years ago and michelle and i were kind of doing a little bit of of The ministry with the youth, teenagers, not necessarily middle school, but high schoolers specifically. And we were reaching out to the small community in which we were living at the time, and it was actually growing. I was so proud of these teenagers. On one Sunday morning, we had about three to four rows over on the left, so if I'm looking out over on the left, and they were just packed with these teenagers there every single Sunday morning, growing, developing, it was beautiful. So we had a couple come in fresh on a Wednesday night with our typical youth time. A couple came in, and they had on these shirts, and they're the kind of shirts, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they're usually black, I think. Their shirts are black, and they can have any kind of four-letter word. They can have an obscene hand gesture or some kind of design of a marijuana leaf, something like that. You know, these shirts that we probably wouldn't wear. You wouldn't really appreciate it if I preached in one. You know, you wouldn't like it. So those shirts. These guys come in, hats on, in reverse, all that stuff, you know. And they're hanging around. They're with us. And I think they're with us two weeks, two Wednesdays. And one of the guys on the leadership team, he pulls me to the side one day and he says, you know what? I see that things are going pretty good at the youth group. And I'm like, yeah, they're actually excelling. and I mean, we're actually making a difference in some people's lives. And they're struggling, but we're bringing the gospel to them and we're pulling them ahead with this. And he's like, well, that's good. But... A couple of these guys, you know, they're not really the type we want. Let that sink in for a moment. You got Jesus saying, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I actually came to call sinners. That's what I'm about. That's my mission. Then you've got this guy in the church who's in a leadership position saying, those aren't really the kind of people we want. Mercy says, yeah, that's going to be messy. But I understand why they're wearing the shirt. I understand why they have that message going on in their life right now. I understand where they're coming from, and I'm not going to be mad at them. I'm going to try to move forward in their lives. So what about you? Where are you at with this mercy thing? Are you a Matthew 9? Do you need to go and learn what this means? Our God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Or maybe you're a step ahead of the game and you're more of a Matthew 12. Matthew chapter 12, what's going on here is that the Sabbath day is a big deal in the Jewish religion. Nobody does any work on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus is hanging around with some of his closest followers and they're walking around and they're hungry. And it just happens to be the Sabbath day. What we know is kind of Friday night to Saturday night. That's the Sabbath day for these guys. And they see some grain on the side of the road and they pick it up and they, you know, kind of pull the heads off of it and they eat it. Well, the Pharisees think, okay, you can't do that. Time out. Problem. They're calling foul. That's work. And you're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath day. I don't know. Is that a stretch for you? kind of seems a stretch for me too. So Jesus comes along and says, no, you're way off here. Don't you know what happened with David way back in the Old Testament when he was running around with some guys and they were hungry. Some of you know this story. And they come up to the temple area where there was some bread called the show bread and it was set out as an offering to God and only the priests were allowed to eat it. It was this really fancy ritual. Everything in its place, everything had to be in a certain position. You couldn't touch anything, had to stay just the way it was created or built or established. Way back when, that's how it had to remain. And Jesus says, David and his men came up and they were like, we're starving. And the priest says, we don't have any food except for the showbread. And you can't have that. Only priests can have it. And David's like, well, we're going to die. So the priest actually gave the bread to David. Big deal. So Jesus says, those guys weren't wrong. In other words, human need triumphs over the rituals that you and I create. So Jesus is talking into this story and he says, hey, I tell you one greater than the temple is here. And it's me, it's Jesus. But if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. If you had known what this meant, this could have been avoided. So same church that I was working at uh, some time ago, hanging out with them, uh, working. And I realized that this influx of youth is posing a problem for some people. Because you got the shirt, you got the language, and not all bad language, but just different kinds of language. And you got some growing pains, if you will. So there's this gal, and she's sitting kind of in the back. She hasn't moved to the front rows that we've got the other, you know, hasn't really assimilated yet. So she's sitting in the back, and I noticed for a couple of weeks that when she comes and she sits down, it's kind of like some of your chairs on the back have that little section where you can put the communion cup and then there's a little card and a pen or a pencil, something like that. When the back of the pew, you know, if you've been around a traditional church, you've got that stretch, that little shelf, and it holds the hymnals and maybe a Bible. More often than not, there's a Bible in the middle and two hymnals on either side. You know what I'm talking about? So this gal sits down and she puts her feet up on that little shelf. So her knees are up a little bit and she's just sitting there, but she's there every Sunday for about three or four weeks, coming, being with us, moving in our direction, listening, hopefully learning. So a lady comes up to me and she says, I just want you to know. And I was like, what's going on? She said, I just want you to know that I went back there earlier this morning and I saw that little girl who keeps her feet up on the back of the shelf right there. And I told her, honey, we don't sit like that here. Honey, we don't sit like that here. So my first response to her was, please tell me that wasn't the very first thing you said to her. Were those the very first words that came out of your mouth to this young gal? She said, yeah. Rewind a little bit. Serving in a church, particular church. This is a big problem because you know, I don't like the podium or anything like that. The church had a huge pulpit nothing wrong with pulpits huge pulpit so vacation bible school rolls around we move the pulpit decorate the stage in a very kid-friendly way enjoying all of this stuff the pulpit's gone for one week while i'm preaching i'm like this is a good dynamic i've been standing behind this thing for some time now it's moved now i've got a better connection kind of like you and i have right now there's nothing in our way so i make a suggestion we just keep that locked away in the closet So that moves forward for three or four weeks, and then I come in one Sunday, and it's replaced. It's put back in its position. Even though there was a better connection, even though there was a better feel. You know, sometimes the messiness of ministry is not that we're just involved in someone's life. It's what that looks like. Does it really irritate us when we see someone who could use the gospel of Jesus Christ sitting with their feet on the back of a pew? Does it really irritate us and bother us and think that it's a, some kind of sin in God's eyes when we remove an obstacle between people? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes to the point of saying, these guys are hungry, so we're not gonna give them any kind of food because it's the Sabbath day. Well, Jesus says, if you would have known what offering mercy to someone meant, we wouldn't be having this problem. And did you notice the text that we read? He calls the people that ate the grain on the Sabbath, innocent. Innocent. They were not the problem. Let me say a couple of things about this. One, we do a really good job in the church, not just this church, but in the church globally, if you will, we do a really, really good job of encouraging people to read their Bibles. We do a good job of saying, you've got to be in the word. Uh, I don't know how it comes out of your mouth, but I hear a lot of in the word, studying the word, being about the word, knowing the word, memorizing the word. We do a great job with that. Would you agree? I think we do a really good job with that. And you can buy a Bible just about anywhere and anybody in this country, at least can open it and start reading it. We do a really good job with that. But did you notice the problem in this story? Jesus said, if you had known. These were religious leaders. They did know their Bibles. They didn't have a New Testament. They just had an Old Testament and they knew it well. It was part of their position. They knew what the text said. So rolling out in 2020, there should be a brief note in your bulletin. We're gonna do this thing where we're encouraging people to read through the entire New Testament, not the whole Bible, just the entire New Testament throughout 2020. So we're going to take a year. We're going to read through the entire New Testament. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to connect with the Word. But here's what we're also going to roll out in January. In our Connections, Wednesday Night Connections, we're going to do a study from Andy Stanley called Irresistible. And I think we're going to have a great balance of material there. We're going to have that constant encouragement, we're going to put out weekly reading programs for you to be in the Word, about the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word. But then we're going to offer this Bible study on Wednesday nights to take that a step farther so that we're just not encouraging you to read the Bible. We want to come alongside of you, especially if you're new to Christianity, new to the church, and help you understand how to read the Bible. We don't want you to open it and get lost. We don't want you to open it and read something that's confusing and have no context with with which to understand it. We don't wanna run the risk of becoming Pharisees who know what the scripture says, but we don't know what it means. This is profound. These guys knew what their Bible said, but they didn't know how to act upon it. So they were actually causing division in the relationships because they thought some people were doing stuff wrong by moving a pulpit or putting their feet on the back of a pew, or eating the heads of this grain because they were hungry, these Pharisees thought they were in the wrong when really they were the ones misunderstanding what the text was saying. Is that profound or what? So where are you with this? Right now, is there someone in your life that really is innocent, but for some reason you're quoting scripture, but maybe it's not the right text to be teaching into their lives? Because that's not what it means. It's missing the point. It's missing the idea of mercy. Or maybe you're in Matthew 18. Matthew 18. What we've got going on here, I don't know if you remember, about a year ago, Monty preached a sermon on forgiveness. And it was phenomenal. And it was based on this text. Basically what's happening is that you've got this guy. He's got a ton of resources, ton of money. And there's a guy who's kind of extorting some of that. Stealing from him, if you will. And this guy racks up a huge debt with this guy right here. And they have a little uh, come, coming to Jesus conversation. Anyway, the guy chooses to forgive the guy of his whole debt. And it's equivalent today of like either billions or trillions of dollars, some scholars suggest. It's just outrageous. And it's probably hyperbolic in the story that Jesus is telling. But just an insane amount of money that no one could ever repay. And the guy comes alongside and says, you know, I'm gonna cancel the debt, no worries. It's over, it's forgiven. So this guy who has just been forgiven goes out and he knows a guy, probably a family member, friend, somebody like that, owes him like 20 bucks. And this guy says, hey, I don't have the 20 on me. Can you stretch out this commitment a little bit? Give me a couple of weeks, I'll pay you back. Just uh, looking to the future. You know, I don't know when I'm gonna get it, but give me a little more time and I'll try to come up with it. And the dude had just been forgiven of the outrageous amount of money is infuriated and starts railing on this guy. Well, the master who heard about this situation, he goes and he finds this guy and he's like, hold up. This is not the way we interact with one another. So we jump into the story. The master called the servant in and he said, hey, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. you know what's scary about this passage? Sometimes we lose sight of the next screen that we're going to look at in our pol- increasingly politically correct society. But this is a characteristic of God, and it's very important to the heart of God and to his church that we get the message of mercy. Because notice what we read next. Very next verse. Very next slide. In his anger... His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back all he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, this isn't a verse to scare us into doing good or anything like that. It's more of a verse to show us how important this is to the nature of our God who is willing to extend mercy and then expect, once you and I have received it, to be just as willing to extend it to anyone else. Are you convinced of this? Here's some more New Testament teachings. Just a couple of more verses to reinforce this idea. James chapter two. Notice the language and how this is elevated. Speak and act. So the way you talk, And your actions, your behavior. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment, mercy is important, it's a clear and compelling characteristic of God. And he wants it to be a clear and compelling characteristic of his people. Uh, 1 Peter 2, notice this language. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, sitting in these seats, now you and I have received mercy. And I say, based on the context, that is one of the markers that we are the people of God we have received his mercy and we are willing to extend it to other people. So this idea of mercy, what exactly is it? When you read the word mercy in your Bible, it's really interesting because it's translated from the Old Testament concept of covenant loyalty. In other words, when God enters into covenant with you and I, he keeps up his end of the bargain. He's faithful to his covenant. He understands exactly what his role is to be and he follows through every single time. This is translated from an Old Testament idea that reinforces the same concept. When you and I become Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, however you wanna frame it up, we enter into covenant with him. And one of the clear demonstrations that you and I are committed to living out the covenant is that we are merciful to other people. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of mercy is this, simply allowing others to be human. You and I on a daily basis rely upon the mercy of God. Mercy is to be distinguished from grace. Grace is where someone gives you something as a reward that you do not deserve. Mercy is the exact opposite. It is where someone who is over you, who has power over you in some regard, mercy is where you do not give someone something they do deserve in terms of discipline or punishment. Every day we rely upon the mercy of God, and he expects us to extend that to other people who would rely upon us. So I'm interviewing Sophie again, and she keeps going with this conversation. She says a lot of great stuff, some I've chosen not to uh, reveal to you this morning. But she says one more thing about mercy that just really, really grasped me. She said, when you have this gift of mercy, you look at people, and you can understand where they're coming from. And if they do something to you, if they offend you, if they make you mad or if they sin against you, here, these are her words, I have to forgive them. I don't have an option. And some of you who would have the gift of mercy, you would know that. There's something in you that's geared you toward people in a very fundamental way so that when there's a flaw in the relationship you don't have an option, you have to forgive them. You feel that emotional tug. Now, the rest of us, we may not have that. We may fly off the handle. We don't have that emotional tug, but we are still called to forgive. We don't have another option either. To know that we are the people of God says that we are receiving mercy and extending it. So where are you this morning with this idea of mercy? Do you need to go and learn what it means? Or are you in reflective mode and thinking, shouldn't I have? Where are you in your relationships? So with the coal thing, there reached a time, uh, I guess I was seven or eight, my dad gave me some responsibility uh, because several of the houses in which I grew up in, uh, they used heat or coal for heat. So my grandmother lived right beside of us and once every winter, I knew it was close to like Christmas time because we would get this ton of coal delivered. A guy would bring a truck and he would back it up into our driveway and he would literally shovel coal from the bed of this truck into what we called the coal house. It was this little building and it housed a ton of coal. And once or twice a week, I would go out to that little coal shed and I would take these five gallon buckets and I would fill them up with coal and I would carry those over to my grandmother's house and I would pour them into her stove and she would have heat for the week. I got really good at one point and I could carry two in each hand. Those was pretty heavy, okay, for like a 10-year-old. Yeah, pre- pretty good. You can tell though, I'm stout, right? Yeah, all right, anyway, yeah. So I'd carry these in. And reflecting on this sermon and reflecting on that time, I, I think I get sentimental about that uh, around Christmas time, you know, just those memories you have from your childhood. And I remember carrying those over And I remember no matter what was going on in the day, sometimes my dad would call me at random times or sometimes my grandmother would say, hey, can you come put a little coal in the stove? No matter what I was doing, I tried to drop it and carry out that little task for her. But no matter how I was dressed, what was going on, there was one thing for sure is I carried that coal over there. No matter how you're loving on someone, no matter how you're serving someone, no matter if you're involved with someone, when you're carrying coal like that, You're gonna get dirty. It's gonna get on your clothes. It's gonna get on your hands. You're not gonna see it on your hands. You're gonna rub your face and it's gonna be on your face. It's messy. It's messy to carry a coal and it's messy to be involved with other people. It's messy to serve people. It's messy to love people. Mercy is messy, but do you need to extend it to anyone today? Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us so deeply, so passionately, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to this messy world where he'd roll his sleeves up, metaphorically carry coal for us, and get dirty so that he could be with us, serve us, love us, be involved with us, and draw us close to himself. Father, on behalf of everyone in this room who has received your mercy, we say thank you. Thank you so much for not giving us what we deserve in terms of discipline or punishment. And we pray, Father, for you to work in our heart and our minds right now And bring to mind, if there's any scenario or any person that needs our mercy, help us to leave this room and be more than ready and willing to extend mercy to them and make things right as much as we can. Father, for all that you've given us, we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.